Hello and welcome to Dark Sky Conversations. My name is Marnie Ogg and today I have two guests joining me from the Australian Age of Dinosaurs. Now, if you don't know where it is or haven't had the privilege yet of visiting this wonderful outback space in northern western Queensland near Winton, I absolutely recommend it. My two guests, Naomi Miles and Grant Salmond, as you'll hear in this conversation, are absolutely dark sky enthusiasts uh, and have taken a already successful museum based on paleontology and archaeology with dinosaurs to expand it and make it an absolute iconic destination for dark skies as well. I think you'll be impressed by all the efforts and all the activities that they've got going on there. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this and perhaps your thoughts when you visited there too. Enjoy. Hi, with a flick of a switch, we turn night to day and day to night. We can change seasons, actions and states of mind. Light is everywhere. Used endlessly and very much a part of our modern world. But what is it? How do we use it? And how is it changing our environment and our behaviours? A starfield sky used to be our evening's entertainment. Now it's Netflix, iPads or even a podcast. When was the last time you looked at the night sky? I'm Marnie Ogg and this is Dark Sky Conversations, the podcast that brings people and science together to shed light. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It depends on where you are in the world. We never know when you're listening to this. And uh, I'm always very grateful for everyone that does join us in our Dark Sky Conversation podcast. Um, today I have two fabulous Australians talking to me from north, uh, well, from Queensland, northern Queensland, both of you. Are you both in northern Queensland? Yeah, Townsville and Winton. Winton, yeah. western Queensland. West, okay. Yeah. Great. And in particular... We're talking about the Australian Age of Dinosaurs and the jump up there, which is a dark sky sanctuary. And I have two guests, Naomi Miles and Grant Salmond. And I'm going to start with you, Naomi. Maybe you could just give us a little bit of a history of the museum and its yeah, its impact in, in the area and what Winton's like, actually, too. Yeah, of course. Uh, so Australian Age of Dinosaurs, it's fairly new as a museum. It's only been on the jump up, which is kind of like a Nessa a plateau uh, since 2009. Uh, we moved there from David and Judy's property out at Belmont, which is about 80 k's away from our now location on the jump up. Um, and it all started because David found a dinosaur bone while out mustering sheep <laughs> and decided it was something to, worth investigating. Um, and since then, we've been holding annual digs, uh, getting out to the field, making sure that we're an open science policy, um, open science institution. So we get people out there in the field looking at dinosaur bones, prepping dinosaur bones, um, anything to do with natural history, really. We want to remove those barriers and get people right up front of the science. So the museum now is... <laughs> We're, we're expanding rapidly. So since 2009, we've got a fossil preparation laboratory. We've got some on-site accommodation for uh, participants that work in the lab. We've also got a reception center where people come and also view our collection room, which houses uh, some of the most well-known Australian dinosaurs. So um, meat-eating dinosaur like Australomenotaur, uh, some very big sauropods with the long neck, long tails, 
uh, Diamantinosaurus, Savannosaurus. Um, but and the Diamantinosaurus <laughs> was named after the star, isn't it? Is that right? Diamantina mm-hmm. River, actually. River. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Matilda being um, a reference to Banjo Patterson. Um, so a lot of the dinosaurs reference uh, because his origins come from Winton as well, uh, where he uh, first wrote Walsey Matilda Center, uh, Walsey Matilda. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've also got uh, a range of other animals as well that we found, which we're very lucky to um, kind of... Prehistoric animals. Yes, that lived mm-hmm. alongside the dinosaurs. So uh, we've got a crocodile as well, which lived alongside the dinosaurs, uh, Confractosuchus. And within that dinos- uh, within that crocodile, we found a little dinosaur. So at the time, it must have uh, eaten the dinosaur and then shortly afterwards died. Oh. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we've also got uh, a flying reptile as well, Vera Draco, all found within the region. Um, so- it's amazing, isn't it, to have that, that variety and that, 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 that complex, biodiverse nature of prehistoric animals there, really. Exactly. Um, and then kind of, uh, well, it's almost fortuitous that we found um, a 54-metre-long trackside as well, which has gigantic sauropod footprints. Next to, alongside um, crocodile uh, footprints, turtles, lungfish feeding traces, uh, theropods, little uh, uh, meat-eating dinosaurs next to ornithropods as well. So that's being relocated to the jump up as well so that people don't have to travel too far to get to it and to Mm -hmm. observe it. Um, And it does highlight, again, the huge amount of diversity that existed within the Winton Winton region about 95 million years ago. So it's not just about the dinosaurs, about the whole ecosystem that sustained them as well, or the plants and the living animals, things that were happening at that same time. So, um, And alongside uh, what we call, that's the March of the Titanosaurs exhibition, we've also got Gondwana Stars Observatory, which uh, opened in 2021. Yes, fantastic. So before we go on to that, I was just going to ask you quickly, um, Naomi, what's your background, your personal background? Are you a paleontologist or? Uh, no, actually, I studied archaeology at university, which is of much help. Um, and I worked in the museum before I worked uh, at Australian Edge Dinosaurs at the RWF Museum in Point Cook, Melbourne. And from there, I've just kind of figured my way through, I guess, just... <laughs> Well, you've certainly landed on your feet. It sounds like you're, you're loving where you're working and, and have such a variety of, of projects happening oh. on the site too. Mm. Uh, no day is the same. So I've been here 10 years now and it's just fabulous. Um, you can pretty much, whatever you can imagine, you can do. Yeah. It, I think the thing that, that I loved most when I visited was the just the sense of exploration. I mean, this was probably 10 years ago that I was there, but there was so much happening. There was so much um, interest in in making, as you said, an open-air museum that people could visit, that there was lots of different activities that, pe- that people could get involved with and the sense of sharing and openness. It wasn't wasn't stuffy or, you know, um, I can't think of the word, but it, it was terribly welcoming and, and somewhere that I'm excited to go back and visit sometime soon. Well, I hope we do because uh, we're changing all the time. Uh, and one of the big things about the museum is staying in Winton. So Winton's a very small town. Uh, it's about 800 to 1,200 people if you're counting the entire shire, and, um, which I guess you got up. <laughs> um, but since the museum's been here, um, what we're trying to do is just make sure that people stay in the region, that we create this critical hub of infrastructure, of tourism, 
that people can come to Central West Queensland and stay. Um, and that was kind of the, the foundation values of David and Judy Elliott is to say, well, the bones don't need to go to the coast for people to see them. They need to be here where they were found. Mm-hmm. And what better way for people to come and see them is this world-class natural history museum. So that's what we're all kind of working towards at the moment. But one of the big things that we never even considered at the time was the night sky. Mm-hmm. What a perfect way to get people to stay overnight. Yeah. Yeah, if they're in the region, and 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 I'm sure that has an awful lot to do with the work that you've been doing, Grant. So let's throw it over to you and talk about the night sky, and 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 let's start with your background. Um, yep. What's your yeah? How did you get involved with the Australian Age of Dinosaurs? Yeah, I guess um, my background has been physics, and uh, I eventually became a, uh, a high school physics teacher. So I was teaching at a school in Mount Isa. And every year, of course, um, I'm driving back to the the Sunshine Coast with the family and friends at Christmas. And I was driving past these signs of this uh, dinosaur museum. And so it's it's like one of these things, okay, I've got to stop in there one day and have a look. So I think it was 2013, the first time I, I came down to visit. And, um, and yeah, just saw this incredibly yeah, vibrant museum and these ancient bones. And... Um, and living in Mount Isa at the time, of course, uh, they've got some pretty dark skies if you can get just far enough out of the town. And um, away from the mines. Yep, yeah, away from <laughs> mines. And and so I, I guess just by coincidence, you start to put these two things together. And of course, we, we all know about the, you know, the hypothesised extinction of the dinosaurs with the the impact sixty six million years ago. And and so you start putting astronomy and paleontology together. And I kind of thought, surely there's there's a story here. And uh, I was I was getting into some astrophotography myself, just taking star trail type shots. And and I actually got in contact with the I think it was the museum manager at the time, um, Maureen, and and asked, oh, can I come and take a like a star trail photograph with your banjo, you know, bronze uh, dinosaur at the front there? And and yeah, she gave me permission. So that was absolutely amazing. I came up and spent a few hours. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's one of my favourite photos to this day, and um, and from there it it just became a, I guess a, a natural sort of convergence, and I suppose the um, putting putting this idea, I sort of thought, well, I've always wanted to do something that's astronomy, mm-hmm. and I guess being a a bit of a nerd growing up, um, no, I always wanted to be an astronaut and get into all this space stuff, and so um, seeing the the museum here. And I thought, well, yeah, why can't we put the two together? So I, I reached out to um, to Maureen again at the time, and and she put me in contact with uh, with David Elliott. And I think it was it was 2015. Um, I remember going to the there's a, a roadhouse in town, and we sat down. I met David Elliott there and had a bit of a chat about this International Dark Sky Association, and could it be something that we could possibly add to the museum? And um, I know we we had a good chat, and he went away, and I guess. The, you know, spoke to some other people here at the museum and uh, had a bit of a think and discussion about, you know, could this be something that um, that we could do? And obviously, it, it turns out it was. So, um, yeah. So, what do you have now? What 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 does the Australian Age of Dinosaurs offer for dark sky enthusiasts? So, in our uh, Gondwana Stars Observatory, we have a a night sky tour, and and that tour at the moment runs approximately three nights per week. Obviously, depending on the weather. And but most of the most of our nights, of course, are, are nice and clear. And 
And so we tell the story, it's a, it's a natural history story of relating objects in the sky and throughout our galaxy, of course, and, uh, and the, the wider universe to the natural history here on Earth, uh, literally, basically, beginning with the Big Bang and then, uh, then all the interesting stuff, uh, the more detail we know about, obviously, uh, once Earth is formed. And yeah, we, we relate that story to the audience and just sitting there under this incredibly dark sky on a, on a moonless night is, is just absolutely amazing. Well, I remember you and I meeting in New South Wales at an Astronomical Society event and I yes. think you came up to me briefly and just said, have you ever been to the Australian Age of Dinosaurs? I'm thinking it might be a good dark sky designated space. And um, I think that was just, that was about as much conversation as we had, but I do remember that um, I'd been out there with a tour group and we'd sat there with a glass of wine watching the sunset. Yeah, and and thinking this is just a, a, a miraculously dark space that's just beautiful, and and a, as you said, that that connection with the the dinosaurs, the history of the Earth, and and the night sky, it's kind of all the things that we question, isn't it? You know, where do we come from? What's happened on the Earth? What you know, the yes. huge questions. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's um, and and it's really those, I guess, in some sense, the the two sciences, astronomy is open and accessible to practically everybody mm -hmm. uh, you can do naked eye astronomy it, it really is quite straightforward to do as long as you've got a nice dark sky and uh, the museum here itself um, is evidence that you can do um, paleontology literally coming in without the skills to help the, the paleontologists here on site and you don't have to be a paleontologist to be able to assist but you start to excavate and dig up the bones and and put the two stories together and just, yeah, putting those two sciences together, I, I think has been able to really help tell the story of, yeah, us in this vast universe. Naomi, do you know if you're the only dark sky designated place in the world that has that connection, has, is actually doing this sort of connection with paleontology? Uh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> we There is um, a International Dark Sky Park at the Dinosaur National Monument in Utah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if they're doing uh, any connection between the deep time, uh, their actual fossil evidence and their dark skies, but, I mean, they'd be well-placed to do it. I've been over there and it's a beautiful attraction. Um, mm. I'd love to see it at night. Um, but I don't think there's anyone else. Grant, do you know of anyone? No. No, I'm not aware of any others. Well, congratulations! You, I, I don't, I don't know of any others. So, um, yeah, it's it, you're the first in that too, and in that sense, you you were the first dark sky sanctuary in Australia. So, what was that process like? Was that difficult? Was it difficult to get the locals or the the shire involved, or what was the process like? And I'll throw that to either of you, whoever wants to answer. Um, well, I think it was um, generally. Uh, we got a lot of support from Winton Shire Council, um, but being outside of town as well and um, owning our own land because it's freehold, so the museum owns the jump up, uh, it made it a lot easier. <laughs> so with lighting and everything, uh, there was only a few things that we needed to alter for our lighting management plan and the inventory when we, we went around and had a look at everything. Uh, we put a few uh, shields on some of the lights. Um, our dinosaur canyon walk was thankfully well under 3,000 kelvins. 
um, apart from that, I know Grant was really, really involved in the early days as well with uh, going around and taking dark, dark sky uh, meter readings of different locations around the jump park. Uh, and as it as it happened, before even Gondwana Stars was even imagined, the site, the very site that it was going to be, turned out to be one of the darkest and one of the coldest on the entire jump park. <laughs> <laughs> just through all this data that we collected. But um, Grant started um, with a few other people started gathering data since uh, I think it was 2016 you guys originally started? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We literally started out with a, a single handheld um, sky quality meter and and did a quick survey across the, the jump up. So we was stopping every half kilometer to um, to get a, a sky reading. And, and we got some numbers that indicated it was certainly going to be dark enough to meet the, the criteria. And and then a little bit after that, we kind of realised that's that's not practical for for collecting data to know truly how dark it is on a long term sort of basis. So we purchased a few of the um, the more permanent battery powered meters mm-hmm. and installed those, put them out in the field, and uh, we've got six of them now, I believe. They're they're still all working and pretty much recording every ten minutes of every single night, um, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah. So we have more than enough data. <laughs> well, that, and this is great. You know, one of the things that we we talk about with the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance is that we really need. You know, it would be wonderful to capture all that data and actually put together an Australian report so that we know what the dark skies are doing, not just in dark sky places, but obviously that's important. But around those dark sky places, and then also things like how many tourists are coming to it. What are the responses? Is it you know is the it, what what sort of benefits is the is the, the area seeing? And I and I guess just in a short survey of one group here, what are you seeing, Grant? What sort of reactions are your guests giving you when they come? Are they you know? Oh, yeah. The um the sort of reactions you get when we're here on a on a perfect dark night is um it's absolutely incredible. The we point out at one point um, to think about the to hold your hand basically above your lap and what do you notice and people start sort of whispering you hear a few whispers is that a shadow and um and you know you kind of eventually go yes absolutely that's literally what you're seeing where is that light coming from to cause that shadow and everyone eventually looks up because there's no other artificial light here on there on the site and the realization that you can see a shadow from starlight alone the milky way galaxy it's just mind-blowing um yeah, I think they, they walk away with a, a brand new appreciation of what a, a dark sky site really truly can be. Mm. And that's, that's explaining the Bortle scale firsthand, literally, isn't it? It's giving them... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, and what do you think's next? Is there... What what will be the future of the site with, with dark skies? Have you got more plants or... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean... <sighs> It's the world is our oyster at this stage. Um, being the only dark sky sanctuary in Australia as well, um, really, really trying to represent so make sure that we're cataloging all the information, making sure that um, what we say is what we we're actually doing and achieving. So we do present um, the International Dark Sky Association requires an annual report every year, which they've met, now made electronic, but we always produce a paper copy as well, so it's available on our website, so you can see all the year's activity, the benefits to the community, everything, so that we're completely transparent. But in the future, it's um, 
really making it available to everyone. So our night skies, I mean, obviously bias saying that nights, the southern night sky is uh, amazing and making that available to northern hemisphere viewers as well. So we've got um, grants heading up the virtual excursions. And if we can link that up, I think we will have a really awesome product that we can get out to everybody to see these extraordinary dark skies and the events that are happening on our night skies that people don't usually see in the northern hemisphere. Um, we're also looking at deep time astronomy and seeing if we can further that idea, um, getting some more education about that, the geological time of Earth and connecting it with deep, uh, the deep time that's visible on your canvas in the sky above, how we can connect that and uh, kind of break down those barriers of time and space that can be really daunting to people to think about billions of years and light years and what does that mean and how are you placed within it? And it can be quite depressing after a while. Like <laughs> maybe I'm not so significant. But mm. I think it, it's everybody's night sky. And I think we're, what we're trying to do is reconnect people with that idea that it's everyone's. It's no one's exclusively in, in ownership of the night sky. Um, everyone has a connection to be made. And everyone's connection could be completely different, which is um, one of the reasons I was trying to push not push, but encourage that the region in outback Queensland becomes uh, more dark sky focused. So um, if there was more dark sky places, um, I know Charleville's doing a fantastic job with the Cosmos Centre, mm. but there's so much scope to do with the night sky that won't be conflicting with each other that encourages night stays, overnight stays and sustainability within the region as well, which we're all for encouraging. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think the 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 message that you've just said there is absolutely critical in in the whole of this is this collaboration. You know, it's not a competition to see who's got the darkest skies or the no. you know the best attraction <laughs> or anything like that. It's really about getting as many people involved and and making people aware and I, I am or at least raising that awareness of how important the night environment is. Um, and we've all got a night environment We and, and it's there and it ha houses different animals or different species or has different cultural connections or means different things to different people. Um, and so we can introduce that story everywhere we go because it's there's something unique and special about the night sky to that to our specific environment just as the ecology is on the ground. So Exactly. There's so much that can be said about the night sky that even if you went from a different outback attraction to the next, you could be talking about and experiencing the same night sky with a completely different interpretation mm -hmm. and just a new insight into that amazing canvas that is that night sky, which is, um, yeah, we're, we're trying to encourage other places and I'd love for outback regions to become known as the best place to stargaze. This is the place to be. You have to come out and you have to see it and mm. reconnect. Uh, I love I, the, I love the idea of connecting with the, you, you said the whole region, you know, the outback Queensland region. You're listening to Dark Sky Conversations with Marnie Ong. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. So what obstacles have you had to overcome in, in, in creating the destination that you, you want with, with, with Dark Skies? Grant, do you want to pick that up? I guess um, I, I think Naomi could best speak from the, the museum perspective. But um, I, I guess from my perspective, the, the biggest challenge 
in some sense is um, is really just deciding to take that first step mm. and uh, approaching a business and going, look, um, here's an idea. I, I don't know if you know if you'd like to use this idea or not. Um, for me, I think that was the that was the hardest thing about doing it. And what did you say to, to David when you, you gave him this? You know, you sat down and had a coffee in the roadhouse. What, did, what was your elevator pitch? Um, look, I I didn't have an elevator pitch to be honest. Um, I, I really just talked about the yeah the, the truly dark skies that we have out here, and and he was instantly able to appreciate that because uh, he described when they go out on the the dinosaur digs with the volunteers. And every now and then, a couple of people or guests would take a telescope along, and he he goes, "Yeah, we absolutely see these incredible things in this dark sky." And so I think straight away he recognised this was an idea that that really could work, and uh, definitely hoping for the the increased visitation or attraction that it could bring during the off season mm-hmm. in summer in the summer months, because then obviously it's really hot during the day, but the nights are certainly cooler. And so you can appreciate some dark skies um, of an evening and um, and start to use the park, you know, the museum here at a different time of day mm-hmm. and use those resources. And extend your audience as well. So you, yes. you might not have people that come for dinosaurs, but you actually have them for the stars and then you get them the other way around. So Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... But if you don't have any sort of technological issues that you've had to overcome or distance. What about, you know, it, it is a fair, you know, Winton, it, it's not far from Winton, but Winton itself is, I guess it's on the on the, the Grey Nomad Trail. So, yeah. Yes. Well, um, yeah. well, I think uh, we're lucky in that um, maybe if you were an international dark sky sanctuary without the museum, it would be a lot harder to attract people just uh, being by yourself. But it hangs off the museum as well. So... Uh, in 2021, um, our biggest year so far, we had almost 60,000 people through. Mm. And so what we're trying to do is, yeah, it's get those people that are coming here for, for dinosaurs and convert them into astronomy. But also now that we're really working through um, getting the tour script for deep time astronomy really, really succinct. And um, I think Grant's got a, a really great um introduction and uh, process with it uh, is to get those other people that mm. they're looking for a dark sky connection but we haven't really i mean I, the case of um i say to grant uh grant talked about um what an what an observatory what might be cool for an observatory look like and he suggested well what about a an impact a meteorite impact <laughs> uh you know kind of reflect crater yeah. crater and the architects came up with some drawings, some sketches, and we got some funding in, um, well, just around the COVID time. I mean, <laughs> that time. And mm. it was kind of what you can imagine and you can do. You can you can make these amazing things, this really alien structure that it's an open air facility. You're supposed to just go there and just tune out, lie back, and just you're kind of, the sky is framed by the walls of the observatory and it's really kind of wacky uh, shapes and and uh, really awesome textures of the walls and just connect with it. And I, I'd always think back to that is just one idea can lead to this huge this change. It's not just going to be a normal shaped observatory or something. It's, uh, well, if you're willing to do the work, you can, you can roll it all out. Mm-hmm. 
if you if you're willing to be a bit experimental and yes. and it is taking a risk as well, yeah, obviously. Yep, it is. Yeah. So, of that sixty thousand people, what percentage do you think are coming there primarily primarily for dark skies? Do you do you have any idea? At this stage, uh, not as many as we'd hope. We're slowly building it up. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think Grant's having a lot of success this year with the first kind of year that it's been. Um, last year was more working on the script to making sure everything worked out. You've got to make sure everything's scientifically accurate. So mm. everything that you're saying is is backed up by the science um, and that it flows. Nobody wants to be read a whole lot of figures and facts. And, you know, you want a, a story that you can really embrace. And that took a while to to come about. It wasn't an, an easy process. But I think the way that it formats it's formatted now where it starts from the very early time, from Big Bang, all the way up to the Cenozoic, the megafauna, and using that canvas to uh, relay that time is really, really effective. Um, so what we're hoping this year is that we, well, we do a lot better. <laughs> we get a lot more people coming through. Yeah, yeah. Great. You're nodding your head. It's, it, it, I feel like you want to add something to the... Yeah. yeah, it's um, it, it's certainly been a long process, and mm-hmm. I think the, but very rewarding I've got to say, and I think this year, I think we've been a little bit lucky in some sense because the the La Nina rains that, like last year as as we opened, um, yeah, closed a lot of the evenings, um, simply because of cloud and, and rain. So, the um, we're heading into our dry season now, and. Yeah, we're st- starting to get some fantastic, uh, nice, beautiful, clear nights, which is yeah, absolutely amazing. So, Grant, what are what's on the horizon? What are the future aspects that you'd like to see happening at at? Um... Well, um, yeah, one of the things that we've we've discussed in the past here that we really would like to see happen is the the Desert Fireball Network. Um, there's that series of cameras across West Australia into South Australia. There's a little bit into Southeast Queensland. And, um, and yeah, just catching meteorites, trying to work out where they may have landed and, um, and just get that, that record and be part of a, a, a global citizen science uh, effort, I think would be a... So a what does awesome. that entail? Do you just have to put cameras out in the area and, and watch the night sky? or yeah? Yes, so they put out um, basically a camera with a solar panel and obviously it's a, a bit of expensive equipment and processing power goes along with it. But it records, yeah, every night sky uh, over the night, over the evening, and uh, basically puts some timestamps on their images so they can work out at what time and from what location uh, a particular meteorite was coming towards Earth or through atmos- the atmosphere and so forth. And I think it was, I think it was 2020. Um, don't quote me on that, but I, I think it was somewhere there. Um, the Desert Fireball Network, they caught their first meteorite that they tracked across the sky with the network of cameras and it landed somewhere in or very near to Lake Air. And they were able to drive out and find it um, within, I think, about two weeks. So that they were literally able to pick up this chunk of rock about four and a half billion years old before it had too much time to have had any erosion weathering processes here on Earth, which is, yeah, absolutely incredible. Well, it'd be amazing to be a part of that, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely. And and anything else that you've got uh, planned? Look, if I, um, if I put my dream out there on the paper, you know, I'd say things like I'd really like to be having, hosting some robotic telescopes from like the something equivalent to like the 
the eye telescope network that's around the world or there in Coonabarabran and uh, and look, you know, having a NASA telescope of some sort on site would be just amazing. But um, you know, that's that's a long way in the future. Oh well, you've dreamed big and you've already made that happen. So why 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 wouldn't this dream come true, Grant? Yes, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, that would be incredible. Yeah. Well, I have no doubt you'll make it happen. You're a very energetic team of people up there and it's all it's wonderful to see the enthusiasm. Yes, yeah, it, it really is a, an amazing group of people here and it, it's the people that drive it. Um, otherwise, it, it just would not have happened. It's, yeah, it's the people who make it happen and um, and that's just so important. And I think that starts at the top, doesn't it? I've only met David Elliott once years ago and he he was just a, you know, a spark of inspiration really. So, uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he gave this idea a go and, and here we are so many years later and it's, yeah, it's it's incredible. It really is. Well, I you, you just made me want to get off my chair and start driving to to <laughs> to Winton. Really, um, I'm actually heading up to Arnhem Land next week, but but that, I think it's going to be very clearing. Um, I think it's going to be quite rainy. But yeah, it's just I'm just so proud of people like you taking this challenge and developing something so new, so original, and bringing such a diverse group of people to science really I mean they probably didn't even realize that they, they're getting science you know they just think they're going to a to an attraction and to an event they'll have a good night out um and one of the thoughts that I had right from the from the beginning of our conversation Grant was how many students are coming through you know the the, the, the three things that they always tell kids to get involved with science are dinosaurs the astronomy and volcanoes. We don't have volcanoes there yet, but you know, give give you give you guys a little time, and I'm sure you'll be creating some. But um, oh yes, yeah, yeah. the um, yeah the education sector here of the museum and um, and student visitation. Obviously, that's been ongoing for a long time before before I joined the museum. But um, in particular, with the the astronomy aspect. Uh, yes, the, we've had the local Winton State School come and visit, and you know, just bring a group of students up there, five sixes, mm. and um, and we're able to sit down and have a chat about some of the basic things that they need for their curriculum about the planets, the solar system, the moon, and the sun, and uh, and then go outside afterwards after having a look at a, a few photographs on a like a PowerPoint presentation and a bit of a story, and and see these planets. You know, we they they see Mars with their own eyes, and um, and see a few of the the clusters of stars around and and suns that are kind of similar to ours. It's um, yeah, it's it really is fantastic, and it's it's definitely building up. Um, we've got a, a school group coming in a, several months, um, like 120 students. They're they're hmm. picking an, an entire year level um, from their school to come and visit, which is just incredible. It's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, the you know the the smiles on their faces afterwards. Um, of the stuff they've seen and the, the teachers are just so happy that their students were able to engage with some of this stuff and, and see and hear about it is it's just, yeah, it's very rewarding. It sounds, and I think that's what keeps, certainly I find that's what keeps me going is seeing kids turn onto it and just, just they're so excited when they, they see what's going on and they, they ask the best questions. Kids, are, you know, they've got no filter on their curiosity. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, it is the time that people are the best scientists when they're when they're still young and curious, and just keeping that curiosity going. If we can help assist that for a few more years, 
um, you know, through their through their teenage years and just keep students being inquisitive about whether it's dinosaurs or astronomy. Um, it's going to help, I think, in the long run, the, the whole of society. Yeah, absolutely. And as Australia's next generation of, of great scientists coming through too. Yes, oh, absolutely, yes. So on that note, I'm going to start winding it up, but I'd love to hear either what turned you on to astronomy or the night sky or an experience like that that's really sticks with you, you know, around the night. Yep, sure. Um, I think, look, my my earliest memory that I really knew I liked astronomy was uh, my dad borrowed a telescope from somebody uh, back when I was about five years old. And uh, it was a little four-inch or a, a six-inch reflector. And and I saw Saturn for the first time. It it Yeah, I still remember it. You know, that view of the rings around Saturn was just absolutely stunning. And um, and so then, of course, you know, I get older. I moved to Mount Isa. I've now got two telescopes of my own. And, um, yeah, and then you get into other things like seeing solar eclipses and, uh, and so forth. There's just, it, yeah, it's just been an ongoing journey for me. And... I've literally now turned it into my job. I mean, I think I'm living the dream. It's absolutely incredible. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's so exciting. All from something that your dad brought home one, you know, one yeah. day. Yeah. 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 You just don't know, do you? don't know what's going to No, absolutely no idea. But it's, it's been fantastic. Yeah. And what about you, Naomi? Have you got a, a cherished memory about the night environment? Uh, I've got to say I'm a, I'm a recent convert. <laughs> Uh, you know, with uh, a lot of research into uh, dark skies and things, I think a new appreciation comes out. But um, uh, the I think it was a 22-inch, we we brought it out one night and I saw 47 Chicani for the first time mm-hmm. and that blew me away. Um, I didn't realise we were going to see what we were seeing. I didn't think we was going. I've had experience with telescopes before and you see a dot and you're like, oh, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> And can you see tens of thousands of them in one one eyepiece? Yeah, yeah. Then it kind of blows you away. It's like, okay, I can see. All right, now I can see what's what you guys are talking about. <laughs> you can see why it becomes addictive, can't you? And you wish you can see that. Well, what else can you see? And yes, yeah. You just want to buy bigger and bigger telescopes. <laughs> yeah, telescope envy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that's wonderful. And honestly, I am, I'm so inspired to come up and visit you and, and, and see the space again. Yeah, please see how much it's, yeah, how much it's grown and changed and, and bring a group of people who can come up. Last time we were there, we were there to, to um, help clean some of the dinosaur bones and our group just loved that. So <laughs> wow. awesome. Yep. Yeah. It was great. Well, um, I've, I've got to say, um, if there's any of your listeners that are, uh, looking to become a dark sky place. Um, I know you were um, very instrumental in writing a reference for us. Um, thank you. Uh, but if there's anyone that wants uh, any questions answered or want to know the process in detail, uh, both Brant and I are available to help. Um, the more places, the better. It's not about you know, competition or anything. So if there are people out there that are looking to to go through that process, putting the application in, we're more than willing to to help assist. That's super generous of you, and and thank you for saying that because it is. It, it I think the more we can share our ideas and 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 actually acknowledge that the the process is it, it's strenuous, and you've got to do you know you've got to tick the right boxes. 
but it's not impossible and the benefits are just so far reaching that it's it's definitely worth it so um if we can all share our knowledge and our enterprising ideas in, in making it happen then i think that we can you know we've got the darkest continent in, in the world and we should be using that much more as an asset so yes and I think once you get that momentum going as well, it's easier. Um, so you just need a, a few more, keep it going. And once you've done that, it's, it's easier to keep driving it forward. You just Everyone just needs to get on. Yeah. The challenge is to see who comes up with the next dark sky place. So we've got one in New South Wales, one in Queensland, one in South Australia. Which state will be next? I'd love to see a community, perhaps the Winton community, but, um, you know, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fabulous. All right. Well, I'm very, very grateful for you both giving up your Monday morning Easter holiday uh, to talk with me. And uh, let's catch up soon and make some dark skies happen. That'd be great. Yes. Thank you very much, Marnie. Thank you. Thank you, Marnie.